Keeping the Nostalgia Alive show is proudly brought to you by the Hoosier Basketball Academy. Want to improve your game and be an elite athlete? Hoosier Basketball Academy, located in the heart of Hoosier Hysteria, provides an excellent opportunity for student athletes to improve their basketball skills. Their goal at Hoosier Basketball Academy is to provide an opportunity for young athletes to reach their full potential and allow them to compete at the highest level. Using their training model, they believe a solid foundation of fundamentals and muscle memory training is critical for the development of elite basketball players. This can only be achieved if you are mentally tough, have a strong work ethic, and are willing to sacrifice countless hours needed to be the best you can be. The Hoosier Basketball Academy offers high-intensity basketball training focusing on small groups and individual attention needed to improve your game, as well as specialized training and drills done at game speed to push you to your limits and improve overall physical conditioning. One of HBA's goals is to improve the skills and abilities of each player trained by focusing on ball handling, proper shooting mechanics, speed, agility, and footwork allowing you to take your game to the next level. This training is for players that are serious about improving their skills. Hard work pays off and gives you the competitive edge in practice that carries over to games against your biggest rivals. In addition to offering training, HBA fields highly competitive travel teams with many teams qualifying for nationals each year. Visit HBAElite.com for more info. Be elite and train to be the best. Welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive, the Indiana Basketball Memory Show. I am your host, Billy Powell. Uh, today's show is brought to you by a book that I got last week, which is called If It Feels Like Leather, Shoot It, The All-American Life of Roger Kaiser. It's just a fantastic book that you can get at lulu.com, or if you uh, contact us through uh, our shows, I can give you information on how to get it. And speaking of that, we have just an outstanding library of shows, over 75 people that we have had interviews with that uh, you can listen to on our streaming station, ktnaradio.com, or you can go to keepingthenostalgialive.podbean.com and listen to the shows anytime you'd like. I'm, I'm very excited about today's guest. Uh, uh, I've been working on this for quite a long time, and it's just going to be an amazing show. I am with. Uh, last year, he was inducted into the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame. And, uh, of course, has a state championship ring with the 1954 Milan Indians, Coach Roger Schroeder. Coach Schroeder, thank you so much for spending some time, taking some time out of your schedule to uh, help keep the nostalgia alive and share your uh, memories of basketball in the state of Indiana. Thanks, Billy. I'm happy to be with you. Uh, Coach, what, who, who introduced you to the game of basketball? And tell us a little bit about your family growing up uh, in southern Indiana. Well, uh, I... Grew up in Pierceville, Indiana. It was a small town, maybe 50 people. And, and uh, we uh, went to Milan High School. Uh, we rode the school bus into town. Big town, 1,000 or so. <laughs> <laughs> it seems so to, to us from Pierceville. And um, I don't know, um, we had an upstairs. In downtown Pierceville, we had our, my mom and dad had a grocery store. Um, you could get anything in there later on from a can of soup to a color TV set. I told my dad when he was alive that it was just like a modern-day Walmart. And um, uh, there was a big garage, and then there was a barn as well. They were all attached together. And in the up, upper part of the barn, there was a space where Dad put up a, a rim uh, and um, 
we used to shoot baskets up there. Then uh, later, when there were more of us and uh, it wasn't big enough, we played in the alley behind the, that store. Now, so, I don't know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, something like that. <clears throat> what was happening in the state of Indiana at that time with high school basketball, and were you engaged with it at that time? I know, I know this is way before you, we get to you being at Milan High School, but you know, what was the atmosphere like with the game of basketball in the state of Indiana before you got into high school? Well, it was big. Uh, everybody uh, had their little town. They treated it like uh, their franchise, just like the, here in Indy, they think of the uh, Pacers as the NBA franchise. And there it was Milan and Osgood and Versailles and so on and so on. And uh, Ripley County newspaper, Versailles Republican and Osgood Journal, they would have all of the um, articles and game scores and everything each week. So you could keep, they were weeklies. They didn't come out every day. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you could keep track of things. And uh, we went to the ball games. My, my uh, dad liked to go to games. He, uh, he kept stats um, for Herman um, uh, Grinstead, who was the coach there before, Marvin Wood. So, yeah, basketball is a big deal, just like it is, uh, like it was everywhere in Indiana at that time. Before you picked up the basketball, uh, did you also enjoy baseball? And uh, how did how did you get introduced to baseball? Or what were some of the favorite teams or players that you followed in baseball? Well, in uh, southeastern Indiana, we were only about 50 miles from Cincinnati. So we got the Cincinnati paper, the Inquirer, and the Post, and uh, the TV stations and the radio stations from Cincinnati. We were closer to Cincinnati than Indianapolis. Uh, so uh, we were Reds fans, and uh, instead of Little League, they had what they called Not Whole League. And we started playing baseball, I don't know, 10 or ten or 11, something like that. And um, you had all ages on the team uh, because a little town like Pierceville, you had to get, oh, you couldn't just say all 12-year-olds because you, you wouldn't have enough guys. But um, there was a team from Pierceville, there was a team from Milan, and there were other teams around that we played. So... Started playing baseball young and uh, just sort of stuck with it all the way through uh, high school, college, and then I played some um, amateur ball here in Indianapolis from 1960 through 64, and then didn't do anything for quite a while, and then got into senior softball in 2002, so still at it. And you actually just got back from a trip where you were playing softball, correct? Yes, uh, we spent three weeks out in... um, well, we were in Las Vegas for four days, and then um, we had some days off, and we did all the uh, the national parks out there, Zion, Bryce, Capitol Reef, the north side of uh, the Grand Canyon. And then we played um, a tournament in Mesquite, Nevada. That was just a two-day thing. And then a four-day um, a tournament in uh, St. George, Utah. It's called the Huntsman Games. Um, people could look that up if they're not familiar with it. Uh, Google Huntsman games. There were 340-some teams there. There were over 500 teams in Las Vegas. Senior softball starts at 50 and goes in five-year increments. All the way up to there are now four 85-plus teams. Oh, wow. Coach, before getting to Milan and, you know, the teammates that you uh, uh, were with at Milan, did you guys actually go, did most of you go to grade school through junior high together? Well, there were a couple of move-ins, uh, but the rest of us were 1 through 12 at Milan. I think Ray Kraft moved in in about the fourth grade, 
and maybe maybe all the rest of us were one through twelve. I'm not sure about Kenny Wendelman, but I think maybe he might have been one through twelve. I'd have to look up in, in the the pictures that to uh, make sure about that. What kind of history did the Milan basketball program have before you got to high school there? Well, they were pretty good. Uh, uh, I'm not sure how many county attorneys they won, uh, but they had won four sectionals um, before Milan won in 1953 and had gone to Rushville to play in the regional and lost the first game every time. So Milan had never won a game in the regional until 1953. Uh, you know, I know there wasn't AAU basketball way back then, so how did you guys, I mean, did you guys just hook up at, at a, a, a player's house and play basketball there, or did they have any, you know, uh, parks that you went to and played together with, or when was the first time that you played organized basketball? Well, we played uh, uh, in the alleys and so on. I, we had a, a nice court in the alley behind Mom and Dad's store. Uh, it was a big garage there, a 30 by 30 garage, and Dad put up a bank board, and uh, he put some fine gravel down over the rest of it and uh, leveled it all out and through time and, and bouncing around out there. It, it was pretty pretty good. You could dribble. Uh, it was pretty level. You could dribble, do whatever you wanted to do. It was almost like a wooden floor. And Plump had a uh, bank board on his, what they called the smokehouse back then, and Glenn Butt had a bank board on his, his dad had a big garage. He drove trucks and had uh, farmed some ground. So he had an area there. So those were the three main play. Well, we really didn't have enough room to play at Plumps. We, we mostly played at our house uh, behind the, the uh, stores. And what, what I did was uh, later on I got an idea about, uh, I took a long handled shovel and put the metal part up on a flat roof and stuck about on and a couple of feet out over of the handle and took a piece of galvanized tin and bent it and let that be the reflector. And then with permission, I got a 300 watt bulb from the store and uh, strung it out from the garage and then we could play at night. Oh, wow. Uh, when it was too hot, we, you know, just plug it in and play and that 300 watt bulb lighted it well enough for us to, to go even after dark. And, and Milan, at what point, did, at, at, at what grade level did they start having organized basketball? Well, there was a combination 7th and 8th grade team at Milan, and uh, we played on that team, and then there was a freshman team, and then the JV team, and the varsity. There weren't very many guys on the freshman team, of course, but the JV team uh, had a full complement, and the varsity had 12 on the team. In fact, we probably had, oh, I'm just guessing, 50 or 60 guys come out for basketball, especially when new coach Marvin Wood came in in 53. A lot of guys thought, well, maybe Coach Grinstead didn't think I could do anything, but uh, maybe this new guy will keep me. So <laughs> we only had 162 in high school, so probably three-fourths of the boys came out to play. But that was a big deal back then. If you were on the basketball team, that was important uh, in all the little schools. So what kind of, beginning your freshman year, what kind of a ball player were you, would, would, you, would you say in your own words? Let me give you my stats. At the end of my, <laughs> uh, not, not basketball stats. At the end of my freshman year, I hit the big uh, 5-1 and 101. So I was over 5 feet tall and I was over 100 pounds. So <laughs> I didn't 
anybody <laughs> at that age. So you played freshman ball. What was your? I mean, when when did you actually get to varsity? Uh, when I was a junior, I, I uh, uh, JV freshman JV. Uh, I was well. We were on a JV team, both freshman and JV. That then uh, junior uh, and senior year were my two varsity years. Uh, the big ones, the '53 and '54. Those those were the right times to be on. Now, when Coach Wood came in, were you guys disappointed that the previous coach had left, or was the town disappointed that the previous coach had left? Well, Coach Grinstead was a very, very likable man and a good coach. Um, there was a problem about uniforms. Um, we, we needed new uniforms, and Coach Grinstead thought we needed new uniforms, and um, uh, he talked to him about it, and the superintendent didn't think we needed to spend the money. Like Coach Grinstead, um, his nickname was Snort, and that wasn't from uh, drinking. That was from his uh, his temper. But uh, he said he thought, well, I'm just going to get them anyway. So he got them, and then uh, they uh, had a little to do about that. And he was willing to pay for it, but they didn't do that. And anyway, the superintendent uh, got him fired uh, after our sophomore year. And it's a shame, too, because he probably would have gone down as the best basketball coach Marlin had ever had. Uh, in our sophomore year, uh, we had a bunch of seniors that were, you know, they were just barely good enough to play. There were two of them that were pretty darn good, and the rest of them just wanted that uniform for whatever that got them, and they weren't very serious. And we got blown out the first two games, and at halftime of the second game against Osgood, uh, Coach said, okay, guys, if we don't come back and win this, uh, I'm taking all the seniors' uniforms. And we didn't, it didn't get any better, and he took all the uniforms. <clears throat> then he asked two of them back. And going from uh, two losses in the first two games, uh, came back, and now Batesville was the biggest town in Ripley County. I don't know what it was, three, 4,000, maybe 5,000, I'm not sure. And they didn't participate in the county tournament, but they did in the sectional. Uh, so the next game was Milan against Batesville. So uh, he brought up Plump and Engel and, uh, to start, and then a couple other guys, Gene White and Ronnie Truitt, uh, and um, took to, you know, to make up for the guys they let go, and uh, beat Batesville. <laughs> That's a big deal. So um, then the rest of the year went along and um, won a county tourney, but Bob Plump and... Uh, Kenny Bergman was the other really good player that was a senior who he brought back. Both were sick with the flu in the sectional, and we didn't win the sectional. So anyway, uh, the superintendent got Coach Grinstead fired, and uh, then uh, Marvin came in, Marvin Wood came in. But everybody really liked Coach Grinstead, and the, the townspeople liked him. Evidently, Franklin, his name was William Franklin, uh, got enough school board members together to... Uh, to let Coach Grinstead go, but it was a shame. But um, Marvin Wood's style fit our ability to play much better than Coach Grinstead. Coach Grinstead used the uh, uh, freelance offense and a lot of zone defense and um, just shoot it, you know. But uh, that the year we won the uh, state, uh, Coach Grinstead um, moved to another little town called Moores Hill. And he won the uh, county tourney down there, so he was a good coach. But 
but anyway, there it was two completely different styles of play, and uh, I, I I don't imagine that we would have won the state tournament with Coach Grinstead. But like I say, I still think he probably would have gone down as the best coach Milan ever had. You know, you, you say that he was uh, very likable. What was what was your first introduction to Coach Wood and? Kind of what uh, what were your thoughts? You, did you think, hey, this is going to work out and be great? I'm I'm going to go down that path, or did you kind of miss the previous coach? Well, we um, of course we had to do whatever we had to do. I mean, we had nothing to say about it, so we naturally adjusted as uh, teenage kids do. Uh, and in the small schools where there was no football, we played baseball in the fall, <clears throat> and um, we got introduced to Coach Wood because he was also a baseball coach. And everybody liked him, and we had a good baseball team, and uh, so that was a nice way to get to know Coach Wood. And everybody really respected him. He, he knew his stuff, and uh, he was a strong disciplinarian without having to be, what, uh, nasty about it. He, you know, some guys are tough, and uh, they're roaring all the time and uh, making, uh, uh, what, demands and what they were going to do but but he was just a quiet leader and uh, everybody liked him it, at the beginning of the 53 season did you even have uh, a, a, a an inkling of uh, how good your team was going to be in 53 much less 54 well we we thought we were going to be pretty good because when we were in the eighth grade uh, we went through the season undefeated in the county we beat all the other junior high teams in the county, and then the uh, county tournament came up, and I don't know what went on, but <laughs> we got beat the first game of the county tournament, and uh, uh, Coach Combs, Marcus Combs, another great guy, he, 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 really, um, he really had the respect of the players. He taught fundamentals and uh, defense, and uh, uh, he told everybody, you know, you have to – you have to be prepared. You can't uh, get to thinking everything's going to be easy and everything will go your way. And I think that was a something that helped us uh, as a little wake-up call. So, yes, um, we felt like we had some material, but uh, especially the way Coach Wood did things, we didn't think too far ahead. We didn't talk about, okay, goals. We're going to win the county. We're going to win the section. We're going to win the regional. None of that. None of that. Uh, we just played ball and enjoyed ourselves and got ready for the next game. Coach, did you guys travel a lot in both 53 and 54? 54, you probably did a little bit more, but did you guys travel a lot, or was it mostly in the area of the Milan area, the high schools in the, within the Milan area that you guys played? It was a Ripley County area, yes. Uh, there were nine teams in Ripley County, so and we usually played home and home, and um, I think maybe we, we played Brookville. That was in the next county. We played Aurora and Lawrenceburg. That was in the next county. So we were either in our own county or the neighboring county in 52-53. But 53-54, with the success we had the previous year, uh, Coach Wood beefed up the schedule a little bit. He had gone to college with Marvin Cave, who was the Frankfurt High School coach. And Frankfurt was in the North Central Conference. That's a big school. So we got in a holiday tournament with them. It was um, Columbus, Indiana, Fort Wayne, Northside, Frankfurt, and Milan. So three big schools in Milan. And then we also picked up Seymour. That was a big school. 
and uh, North Vernon was a, a lot bigger than us. So uh, Coach Wood beefed up the schedule a little bit, and I think that helped us, too, to play against stronger teams. Now, Coach Wood played both basketball and baseball at Butler, correct? I I'm, I know for sure that he played uh, basketball, but I can't say for sure. I don't think that was ever discussed, whether he played baseball or not, but he would have been good enough to play. So he probably did. He went to a small school in Morristown in Shelby County. And, uh, I, you know, that's a question. I don't know if anybody else knows that. I'll just make, make note of that, and the next time we get together... Uh, we'll ask about it. Now, Morristown is the same place that, what it was at the uh, Copper Kettle? Is that the re the restaurant that serves good fried chicken there, right? That's right. You've been there. <laughs> <laughs> Coach, well, maybe, maybe it's, and there's the Bluebird, too. True. There's a Copper Kettle here in Indianapolis, too. Yeah. And there's also another one that wants to be that. I think it's got, what is it, the Iron Skillet? Yes, I've heard of that one. Yep. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what was the atmosphere like when you played in your home gym? Well, I mean, I mean, uh, give us, a, give the listeners an idea of how many people could sit there and watch a game. Was it hard to get a ticket? And did you feel like you had an advantage when you played opponents? The Milan gym seated, I don't know, um, seven or 800, 800, 900, but the town was a thousand. And it was one of those where the bleachers went up on one side and then the floor, nothing on the ends, just right up against the wall. And then the opposite side was the stage with bleachers on the stage. Most people, most schools in those days built them in that design. But um, junior year, we played them all there. But the senior year, after the success uh, going to the Final Four, we only played two games in that gymnasium. The rest of them were played in the neighboring town called Versailles. There was a gentleman by the name of Tyson who um, um, went with Walgreens back in the early days, must have got stock, was very successful and made a lot of money. And he donated money for a church, uh, a library, and a brand-new school. And the gymnasium seated, I don't know, 2,300 or so. So unless Versailles had a home game and there was no way to move it around, all all of our home games were played over there, and then the place was full. Now, did you guys like that as a team, having not being able to play there in Milan, or did you did you guys, uh, you know, uh, take that in and grasp it? Hey, what do seventeen and eighteen year olds know? <laughs> we, we didn't care where we played; we just went over and played. That's where the game was, so that's where we were going. That's just the way we were. You know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, uh, there's a similarity because, you know, they asked us, you know, of course, this the movie Hoosiers, you know, uh, they asked uh, uh, the athletic director, Gene Ring, if uh, they, uh, the broader Pulchitar game could be played at Hinkle Fieldhouse to film the finals in that movie. And of course, uh, you know, they came to us as a t uh, he came to us and asked the whole team. And of course, just like you just said, you know, we're like, oh, OK, so, you know, it's it, it, interesting, yeah. very interesting. Yeah, just tell us where we're supposed to play, and we'll go. We, we want to play. Did you guys have a good following when you would go to Versailles? I think it was sold out. Coach, tell, was... tell tell us about the tournament run in '53. Did you did was I mean? Did you ever stop and kind of smell the roses and take it in, or was it a flash? And and kind of walk us through it. Well, it was a combination of um, good players. Um, we went up there uh, 
unprepared to play in a great big gym like uh, Rushville's gym, 3000. I think it scared most of us a little bit, so we weren't really on tune to begin with. And really, really good luck. Um, as I mentioned earlier, all previous sectional winners from Milan went to Rushville and lost the first game and came back. But we were playing Morton Memorial. It was a Soldiers and Sailors uh, orphanage home there in uh, Knightstown. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had some good ball players. They had, uh, uh, gee, his name escapes me right now, but he played in the NFL. Tim Brown, Tim Brown played in the NFL. Uh, and then they had a couple more good players, and we were back and forth. In fact, they were leading us uh, with, um, you know, in the fourth quarter, going down, going down toward the end. And uh, we used uh, Coach Wood had a full court zone press, which people didn't know about. I mean, it wasn't something that was commonly used. I don't know if they used that at Butler or whether that was an idea he had or where that came from. That's another good question for me to bring up next time we get together. But anyway, we used some of that, and uh, in the scurry of catching up, um, these, either the scorekeeper, timer, I should say, forgot to turn the clock back on, or it got the plug got bumped loose, something, but there were several seconds that were lost that should have ticked off. And um, I think Kraft made the layup to tie the game at just before the buzzer. Otherwise, we might have been just another one of those teams that went back to Milan and didn't win in the, in the uh, regional. So we won then in sudden death, um, uh, tied after the first overtime. And back then, of course, now they, the sports writers and all call it sudden victory, but uh, they don't even do that anymore. But back then, first team to score two points won the game after the first overtime. So Plump hit two free throws uh, during the second overtime to win. So we beat Morton Memorial. And then we won that night, and then it went on from there. Just <laughs> it just things went on and on and on, all the way to the Final Four. And let the, let the audience know who were the Final Four teams in 53? Oh, 53, gosh. Um, South Bend Central, who won, uh, and uh, Richmond, Lamar Lundy, do people know that name? Yes. He's an NFL guy. He played for Richmond. And Terry Gerstmeyer, those were the four. What was your perception of uh, uh, Butler Field? I, I, I'm assuming it was Butler Fieldhouse at the time. When you guys got up there for the Final Four, were you kind of, uh, uh, were you kind of in awe? Were you guys nervous? Well, um, most of the guys had never been there before. Um, the year before, my dad somehow got some kind of tickets, and he and he took me and Plump uh, to the, uh, I think it was a semi-state the year before. So we had been inside the place, and I think Plump and Ingalls, somebody had taken them one time too. But uh, most of the guys, we just walked in there, and it's huge. And there wasn't any of that measuring of the rim like it is in the movie Hoosiers. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, he was so huge. One of the guys, I think it was Bob Engel, said, and he was a city boy, too. He's from downtown Miami. Anyway, he said, this place sure would hold a lot of hay. So, <laughs> that gives you an idea of uh, what we thought about it. But Coach, then again, uh, we just went ahead and played. Uh, I guess we were so naive, we didn't know we were supposed to be afraid, although I think I think that was part of our problem there in Rushville, that uh, 
we might have been uh, off, off base a little bit in that first game. Do you think, were there a couple circumstances if, if, if it would have been changed? Do you think you guys could have won back-to-back state championships? Well, the team that beat uh, South Bend Central had two guys that went on and played and starred at Michigan State. And uh, I'm, my memory doesn't serve me well enough to tell you those details from that long ago about the wrestling. But they were very, very good. South Bend Central was very good. By the way, that's the name of the team that the uh, Hickory Hoosiers play in the final game in the movie Hoosiers. Right. They chose South Bend Central. Well, it, it had been closed and uh, changed into their students dispersed into the other South Bend schools. So it was no longer a school. And there was some history to the name South Bend Central. No, they were very good. Uh, they just beat us. They, uh, we, didn't, we didn't shoot very well that day. And... Uh, they, they hit from outside over the zone. So that's another thing about the zone. Coach Wood had always played man-to-man. They played man-to-man at Butler, and that's what he had coached when he was at French Lick the two years before he came to Milan. Uh, but um, um, most of the teams used the zones, and uh, so Coach thought he was going to have to learn how to do it. And so he talked to Mark Combs, the junior high coach, and said, um, Coach, would you give me some pointers? I think I need to teach these guys something about the zone. And he says, well, they already know. He says, we always use zone. So with uh, uh, Mark's tutelage, uh, Coach Wood, uh, played. we played zone then most of the time uh, at Milan. But uh, he had always coached man-to-man before that. We always played man-to-man in practice, but we zoned in the, in the games. And you just picked up the guy who came in your area and played him man-to-man. So it was kind of match up, but we didn't have any match up rules like they have today. In the locker room after you guys lost, did you guys know that you were going to have something special coming back that next year? Were you guys distraught? Uh, did you just did you just take it and, and run with it? And how confident were you guys uh, beginning of that next season? Well, I don't know if distraught would be the correct word. We were definitely disappointed because uh, we had kind of expected to win. We had lost four games. Our record junior year was 24 and five, uh, so we had lost some games before. But uh, we, had, you know, we had won 24 games, so we expected to win every time we played. And people were really disappointed. But uh, I think after a, a little while, after that sank in, guys started to think. At least I did. Gosh, Final Four. <laughs> Nobody had ever thought anything about Final Four when we were playing down in uh, Ripley County at the start of the year. And so, and to think about the next year, I don't know that we really, I don't think anybody said we'll beat them next year, we'll win next year. I, somebody might have said that, I don't remember it. It was, we just went on to the next thing, as most high school kids did then and probably still do today. And, um, we got back home and, uh, when the weather warmed up, uh, we started playing baseball and in the, in the uh, summer leagues and go fishing and swimming and whatever else uh, kids do out in the country. Coach, at the, the beginning of that uh, magical year, the next year when you guys go on and win the state championship, was there a, a different mentality from the coach or different coaching knowing that a lot of teams, you weren't going to surprise a lot of teams and did you have to do a lot of things different? Well, not to my knowledge. Uh, um, I know that uh, Coach Wood expected more competition, that people would be up because it would be 
feather in your cap, so to speak, if you could beat the team that was in the Final Four, uh, the rest of the teams in uh, Ripley County. And they all knew us. They, we'd played each other, you know, the individuals, the personnel on each team had played each other since grade school. So everybody knew everybody and knew their names and everything you could think of. So um, we we had some tough games uh, with uh, some of the teams there in uh, uh, Ripley County, winning like four and six and eight points, things like that. It wasn't like we beat everybody 25 points the next year. That was not so. We, there were some games where uh, we, we got away from the uh, other team and beat them handily. But, uh, and then the, um, the teams that we didn't play before, for some reason against Seymour, we had a great game, beat them in the teens. I don't remember what it was, 15, 17 points, something like that. And Frankfurt, um, we played uh, Frankfurt in the first game, and they beat us a, a point. And then uh, in the consolation game, Fort Wayne Northside beat Columbus. Fort Wayne Northside was enlisted in the top ten, I think, at the time, and I'm not sure about those other two teams. But it was interesting because we got something to eat because we had played the first game and Columbus played the second game, and it's a holiday tournament. You play them all the same day. And uh, when we came back, I remember seeing uh, J.C. Gosnell sitting in the training room eating a sandwich, still had his uniform on because they had done some practicing after the second game before the consolation game that started at six, so they, I think Coach Stearman was a little upset that they didn't beat the uh, the rated team. So um, uh, beating Columbus and beating Seymour and uh, and losing to Frankfurt and we beat uh, North Vernon, which is now part of Jennings County. So um, we had beaten some pretty decent teams. Coach, we all know that you know the the state championship and and you guys winning it and how fantastic and the history of it. But during your senior year, did you start? Is that at the point? When did you choose Franklin? Oh, well, that was uh, that's another story itself. Um, I had um, uh, decided to go to Purdue and study engineering. I was a decent student and. Uh, um, I thought that would be a, an interesting thing to do. I always got along well with math and math classes. And so I was all set to go to Purdue. I had my uh, room in the carry quad ready to go. And we won the tournament. And uh, a guy by the name of, um, I think his last name was Michael, Mr. Michaels, uh, came to Milan. And um, he talked to me and to Gene White about going to Franklin. So I thought, well, I don't know anything about Franklin. So we went, we went up there and visited around, and uh, they took us around everything. And then I got to thinking, if I went to Franklin, a small school like Franklin, there were like six, eight hundred in the school there, I might be able to participate in basketball and baseball and and be a coach. And so just like that, that I decided that's what I was going to do. So the engineering and uh, whatever bucks that uh, went along with engineering <laughs> switched to the school teacher budget. So I went to Franklin and uh, played basketball and baseball there and uh, uh, became a coach. At what point, I'm going, I'm, I'm going back and forth, so I apologize, bear with me, but at, at what point, and it, it, was it sectionals, regionals, or semi-state your senior year, did you guys really feel like you could win this whole thing? Well, 
I don't know. I can't speak for everyone, and probably somebody thought about that. I don't remember thinking about that. Uh, again, we we were not sophisticated kids. We uh, we were just naive, and uh, we were just happy with what we were doing, and we just went on and played the next game. And I'm you know, I'm sure some people thought, hey, if we can win this regional, maybe we can win it all. But there wasn't uh, talk about that. I, I didn't remember. I don't remember anybody talking about that. Maybe Coach Wood. Maybe somebody said something. Maybe he told him just to cool it. I don't remember hearing that either. But it was mostly just go and play the next game. How did you guys? You guys had great success in '53. You're 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 you're, you're you've gone through your sectionals, your regional, your semi-state. You're going through the final four. Uh, how did you guys keep a level head? Who who kind of uh, reined you guys in to kind of you know, keep you focused on what the eventual uh, uh, goal was? Well, I think that all that credit would go to Coach Wood. Uh, he, um, he just had us pay attention to details. We practiced. We worked on things that were important. Uh, people knew who the better scorers were, but he didn't uh, put up leading score after the game or he didn't have stats. Nobody knew what their averages were. Nobody knew anything like that. But, of course, people could look at the scorebook, and it would be in the Versailles Republican or the Osgood Journal, you know, the box scores. So people knew what was going on. Players knew what was going on. But it was not emphasized because he didn't put up the averages. I think he wanted everybody just to think team and don't worry about the other stuff. Was there a possibility going through sectional, regional, and semi-state where there was a game where it it almost ruined what has now become history? Well, we had some close games. Uh, we had a tough game against Aurora senior year uh, because they beat us down there. I think it was nine points. That was the other loss. We lost to, to Frankfurt in their holiday tournament up there, and we lost to Aurora uh, at Aurora. But they had players. I mean, they had a six-six guy named Bob Fairman who played at Purdue. They had a six-four Hugh Gabbard, who was a big star at Western Kentucky. He had a guy named Klingelhofer who played at Michigan State. Um, Jerry Drew was a good player at Hanover. So, and I, I don't remember the other fellow what he did, but they were they were a good team, and we just barely beat them in the. Uh, in the regional, and there once again, we were behind and caught back up with the zone press, and then just kept going. So um, uh, I don't know. Maybe a, a game which built our confidence a great deal was in the semi-state when we played Christmas Addicts, um, beat them 65 to 52, and uh, I understand that that was the largest margin of defeat. Uh, for Coach Crow's teams. Uh, that's the worst they were ever beaten during his tenure as coach at Christmas Addicts. And I think they only lost about 20 games during his three or four years there, of course. And at that time, Oscar Robertson was a sophomore. Thank goodness for us. <laughs> if he had been maybe a junior or senior, he probably could have just handled us. But uh, uh, it, it worked out all right. Now, I don't know why we just kind of got going like that, but... Uh, uh, people talk about the last teams that we beat. We beat Attics, and then we beat uh, Gerstmeyer, and then we beat Muncie Central. So 
you beat uh, those were some big names in uh, in uh, Indiana basketball at that time. Coach, what were what was what was race relations like back then? You know, you said you're you're playing Crispus Attucks. Is that the first time you guys had played a, played an all black club, or were you guys? I mean, what was it like doing that back then? Well, we didn't really know many black kids. Uh, there were black kids in Lawrenceburg. I don't think there were any black players in Ripley County. I don't think any black families lived in Ripley County. Um, uh, Shelbyville may have had some. Bill Garrett went to Shelbyville. They won the state championship in 47, is that right? Yes. Um, so, um, but as far as, uh, and as far as playing an all-black team, no, we hadn't done that. And uh, we didn't really, we didn't really have much experience with them. And once again, I don't think anybody paid attention to that. In fact, I think somebody said uh, we we were um, at Hinkle Fieldhouse. Well, it was Butler Fieldhouse, and I'll call it that. And we were in the varsity dressing room because Coach Wood had played there, so we got kind of favored uh, locker room assignment by the guy who did that. I'm trying to think of his name, the equipment manager there. I can't think of it at the moment. And um, you had to come down there to get a drink of water, and somebody said they uh, saw one of the Attics players kind of peeking in the room to see, who are these guys? <laughs> so maybe, maybe we bothered them more than they bothered us. Me, you know, I didn't think anything about it, and I think that was pretty much the case with the rest of the guys. It was just where we were going to play. Coach, was it a was it? Did it go by just like that, or did you did you stop and 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 take it all in that that final four? Um, and you know, what are your memories that you know that come from that from you personally? Well, uh, let me set this up by telling you an interesting fact. Uh, of course, we all in the sectional was there in Eversales at the Tyson Auditorium. And uh, so coaches' cars and everything went over there. And then we had a dealer, automobile dealer in my own name, Chris Bowles, who had, um, he had all the GM cars except Chevy. He had Pontiac, Oldsmobile, Buick, Cadillac, and he sold to a lot of places. A lot of guys from Cincinnati would come out and buy them from here. Anyway, when we went to the uh, regional, Coach Wood had a Pontiac, and so I don't know who came up with the idea, but uh, either Chris had Pontiacs to loan or he got some. So we, we all went to the regional in Pontiacs. Well, of course, this was not planned ahead of time because nobody knew this was going to happen. Well, okay, the next week, then somebody said, hey, this is a good idea. So uh, we had Buicks. So the whole the team, all the team, there were three or four Buicks. So we went in Buicks to the Senate State. And, of course, we went to the state finals in Cadillacs. <laughs> and it was interesting. I think something that kind of struck me to kind of put the whole thing in perspective, we were, we, had, we were coming back from the afternoon game and we'd gone to get something to eat and we were coming back and people uh, we were going along the street near Butler and people were walking to the field house and they recognized the car, or maybe they were Milan fans, I don't know. Anyway, they just stopped and applauded. And I thought, what, what is this? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're just kids. Uh, and here these people are just kind of in awe. They just stop what they're doing and applaud as the team goes by. 
So that made me think this was a pretty special deal. So, so what's your mindset or what's your first thought or what were you thinking um, when you guys win the state championship? Well, uh, things went back and forth. And the, the game itself, um, we, we kind of got ahead. And if, if we watch the actual game film, you'll see that Muncie Central takes some shots that maybe weren't the best shots against the zone. I think they were a little anxious to get things going, and uh, uh, they expected to win. They expected the ball to go in, and, and we got ahead. Then in the second half, uh, they shot a lot better shots. <laughs> they got the ball inside a little bit more. They still shot some outside shots because people did uh, that. That was the normal against the zones. But um, getting ahead then um, gave them the opportunity to, um, I mean, shooting better shots gave them the opportunity to, to get ahead. And so I, I, I think Coach Wood was thinking, um, let's shorten this game down. If we play run and gun with them, we might not do so well because they were pretty big. And they had two guys, Hines and Flowers, that went to IU and played there. And Castro, their center, was 6'6", although he didn't play uh, a lot of that game. He started and uh, then... Uh, uh, I don't know, maybe he wasn't doing what he wanted anyway, or the coach wanted, but he didn't play as much. So but then, um, uh, so Trump held the ball for over four minutes, just held it. And they were ahead by two points, so, you know, why not? So then it got down to uh, that zone press again, uh, and they turned it over a couple times, and then uh, we got it tied up, and uh, so then got the ball back and held it till about 18 seconds, uh, called timeout. This is interesting. Um, so Coach um, mentioned what we were going to do. Uh, he said, we're going to try to get Plump isolated. And uh, Gene White said, well, why don't we, uh, if he's just going to go one-on-one against Barnes, why don't we just have all the rest of us go over to one side? And they said, oh, that's a good idea. So that's what happened. But they didn't all go. You watch the film again. There were a couple of them still in the lane, and the others had gone over. They didn't all run over to the side. <laughs> and guard guys that were standing at the sideline. But um, uh, the the deal was um, uh, Kraft was supposed to take the ball out and give it to Plump, and then he was supposed to dribble around until about five seconds or so and then make his move. Uh, well, uh, Plump took it out and gave it to Kraft. So, you know, we're high school kids, excitable. But actually it worked out better because then Kraft – dribbled the ball up and gave it back to Plump. Okay, Plump still got his dribble then, so they had to watch him a little more carefully. But then he started to dribble, and, of course, uh, he faked to the left like I've guarded him in practice. I couldn't couldn't handle him. And in fact, a couple times, Coach Wood, who was a very good defensive player, and he was only, what, 26? He graduated from Butler at 22, two years at French Lick and two years at Milan, so... 26 years old, he's in good shape. So he would guard Plump in practice to, to make it a little tougher for him. Plump would handle him, too. So anyway, uh, he did the old fake to the left and then drove to the right, and um, he wasn't going to get all the way t- for the layup. So he stopped and uh, hit the jumper, and uh, I, I wasn't in the game. Of course, uh, Plump and Kraft were top-flight uh, guards. Plump, uh, Kraft had 14 that game out of the 32. So when the ball went through the net, I looked at the clock, and there were three seconds on the clock, and I thought, well, everything's going to be okay. 
so that that's the way that that went. In fact, today though, today teams are so sophisticated that uh, you know you get the timeout immediately as soon as it goes through. In fact, we were playing Broderpool one time when I was coaching Marshall, and we were ahead by one, and uh, they got a layup to go ahead by one with two seconds on the clock. Of course, you know we call the timeout. And uh, we've got a half-court play and a full-court play. I think we called half-court ABC. There were three options, and the other was XYZ. So we threw the long ball long to the corner, and the guy was going to take the shot. Well, they fouled my kid, and he had both free throws. So, <laughs> you know, back then it was over, but nowadays uh, teams are more ready for that sort of thing. But yeah, we were all happy as could be, and uh, uh, of course the other team was dejected, and. Uh, but it was just a wonderful experience, uh, something that we were all very fortunate to get to live. Man, I did. I mean, was was there? I mean, did you have a doubt when you were over there watching that last play unfold, or did you? Were you positive, or you know? I, I love listening to what you guys were thinking, or if you can recall what you were thinking at that point in time, because you know you, you feel like you're there with you. Well, I'll tell you what I thought. I had played him one on one in the backyard in our in our alley there. Uh, we could, in fact, we called ourselves the Pierceville Alley Cats. That was our nickname. And then uh, when we played uh, uh, like lunchtime games and this, that, and the other, where it's softball or whatever there at school, we would line up and uh, we'd be the Pierceville guys and they would be the Milan guys, the townies, and then everybody else would fill in. So it was Pierceville against Milan. But uh, uh, I had guarded Plump uh, in that back in that alley so many times that uh, I'd you know, I I I would have been really surprised if he didn't make it. Awesome. I, that's I just expected him to make it, and then of course, as it turns out, he did, and, and we all lived happily ever after. <laughs> Coach, do you still uh, wear your ring, or do you have it put back in a in a vault? Well, um, I wear it uh, on occasions. But when um, when we went to college. I don't know about the rest of the guys, but at Franklin, and we were in a fraternity there at Franklin still, Phi Delta Theta, wonderful experience. I learned a lot there. I sure am glad that I got a chance to, to be a part of that group back then. Longtime friends, still longtime friends there. But anyway, uh, they called everybody high school Harry's if you wore your jacket. <laughs> so guys didn't wear I didn't wear my ring. I thought, okay, uh, so I wear it when whenever there's a Milan event, but I don't wear it day to day. I don't know. A lot of guys do. They've got them worn down, but uh, <laughs> I, ju I just wear them. We've had a lot of Milan events, you right. can imagine, uh, and I wear them then. And uh, but no, I don't wear it on a day to day basis. Not that I, I you know, I'm very proud of it, very happy to have it. But uh, um, I feel like there's more to life when you go out. To dinner with somebody, then uh, then talk about uh, basketball, talk about Milan, there are other subjects. Uh, I, because I don't know, people maybe would get tired of that. Not some people. <laughs> if, so I don't bring it up. But if anybody brings it up, I'm happy to talk about it, answer any questions, and I'm pleased to do it. And there might be somebody that uh, maybe would get together. Hey, I'm so and so. I'm, I play at Milan '54. Well, then that kind of dominates the conversation. So I just think you need to be fair with everybody when you're going out socializing. Uh, Coach, what was it like to get on campus uh, when you went to college? And what kind of athlete were you in college? 
Well, I was a pretty decent athlete. I got a couple of varsity letters in basketball. In fact, uh, I got a chance to do one of those last-second shot things. We were playing Wabash. The play was not for me. Uh, we had another guy named Elmer Strotman, who was from Rising Sun, uh, was a year older. But you could pretty much put down 20 for Elmer every game. And we were the score was tied. And um, uh, he went into the forward of the ball and cut through to the other side, and then we were going to bring the ball back around, and he was going to get a shot over a double screen on the other side. Well, the errant pass back to me got knocked into the backcourt, so I went back and picked it up, and I didn't know for sure how much time was left, but I, and there wasn't any time to organize anything, so I just drove it as far as I could go, stopped and took a shot, and it went in, and, and you know, we went uh, uh, there at the buzzer, so... But in, I was a lot better baseball player than uh, basketball player. I was a pretty decent basketball player. But I, I played uh, four years of uh, baseball, starting third baseman as a freshman. Sophomore year, broke my ankle in the last inter-squad game, so I didn't get to play. But I was all conference my junior and senior year at third base. And uh, then played uh, amateur ball here in Indianapolis from 60 through 64. And uh, we won the Amateur State Baseball Championship and played out in Wichita, Kansas, NBC, National Baseball Congress. And then I didn't do anything after that. I was spending too much time playing baseball, and we had a couple of children, and so I stopped. But then um, got back into senior softball in 2002 and been playing ever since. Coach, when did, when did the light bulb go off in your head and you say, hey, you know what, I want to coach this game? I guess it was um, when they suggested that we go and visit Franklin. And I always liked to compete, whether I was good enough to win or not. I still like to compete, still do. And um, that gave me a chance to continue to compete. Maybe not, you know, I wasn't in uniform with shoes on the floor, but I was sitting there on the bench trying to figure out how, how we could uh, be successful against the other team. So I guess it was still competing. <clears throat> so I've got, I got to tell you something here I just thought of uh, in my coaching. There was a, a young fellow by the name of Richard Robinson who played at Marshall. Uh, let's see, I think he graduated in about mm, 82 or so. And they had a call out for the movie Hoosiers. And uh, Richard went out there and tried out. Uh, and he was selected to be in the movie. In fact, he's the starting center for South Bend Central in the um, final game against the Hickory Huskers. So um, uh, he, he came back to school and was telling me about uh, one of the incidents. They told him, Richard, we're going to have you shoot this hook shot. And they went through all the details of what it was going to take, you know, how much it was going to cost. And he said, so they said, so we want you to make it the first time. <laughs> Richard <laughs> went, ooh. <laughs> So he shoots his hook shot, and if you watch the film, you'll see him shoot the hook shot. And of course, he shoots it short and hits the front of the rim. But he's six five, and uh, he was a little older. He'd already graduated from high school, so he was a little older and a little more mature. And um, so he goes up and gets it, rips it off, and just gently puts it right back in, which was more intimidating and suited their purposes a lot better than if he had made it. So they just kept it like that. But, <laughs> but. Uh, Rich, uh, Rich was something. You know, I, I, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but uh, uh, and I remember that play like you just described it. 
Uh, it, do you, uh, how many times a year you pull a movie out and watch it? I don't do that. I will. Um, I don't know how many years I've done that, but if it comes up on TV, I'll watch some of it. But I've watched it uh, several times, and I, I like. I really like the movie. I mean, it, it was not uh, the Milan story other than a big, a little school beat a big school on a last second shot. And those guys made sure that the shot was taken exactly where it was in 54. In fact, uh, Morris Bellinas, who played uh, Jimmy Chitwood, uh, said that the defensive guy really went up on him. He says, I really had to lift up in order to get that in. And he said uh, that, uh, when they were practicing for that, he couldn't hit anything. But he hit this one the first time. So. <laughs> and how unfortunate that he went to Chittard and didn't play high school basketball. Well, he must have been slow. Uh, <laughs> because uh, he could shoot. Uh, the story was uh, he, he went out for basketball and uh, didn't make the team. And the story was somebody saw him playing in uh, a CYO basketball. But they had some maybe... They, it was a, a school-related intramural-type basketball. And somebody who knew somebody said, you ought to take a look at this kid because he can really shoot. So they, they talked him into going out, and Morris said, I don't know. He says, I was there. There were so many guys there. He says, I almost just went back home. because." But he said, I stuck it out, and, and of course, they selected him. And what's what's interesting too, I think Coach Stevenson was actually there uh, at the game watching him film that shot, which is which is a pretty awesome story. That's right, because Tom was still he was a shatter, sure. Yeah, uh, uh, Coach, Coach, once you once you get out of college, I mean, um, uh, how how did the coaching search go, and where did you land first? Well, my roommate uh, when I was a freshman, Jack Baker, was a high graduate, and he told me about this position that was open there at Cal was freshman basketball and I didn't know whether I wanted to uh, uh, start as an assistant or go out in the wherever you could get a job and coach and and go from there but I had interviewed down in Evansville and there were a couple of other small schools and then uh, I got to thinking I believe I'd rather start in the bigger school and work my way up because I might learn more that way uh, and playing against other bigger schools. And as it turned out, um, it wasn't a, a, an advantageous move because it was my first year to be the freshman coach. It was the first year for the JV coach because Jim Stutz had been the JV coach and got moved up to the varsity. So the varsity coach, the JV coach, and the freshman coach were all in their first year at, that, at school in those positions. So the guy that was a JV coach had been a head coach down in around Terre Haute, so he came into Indian. So people weren't leaving. So I was the uh, uh, freshman coach for four years and the JV coach for five years. But I, I was freshman baseball coach, too, and I coached three uh, freshmen, three JV baseball, and then I was the varsity baseball coach the last three years. And uh, So I... I'd, Decided, Sue, my wife and I, and by the way, I met her at Franklin. If I hadn't uh, decided to be a coach, I never would have um, met Sue, and uh, we'd have, it would be a different situation altogether. So I'm, I'm glad I made that decision. So um, 
Sue and I discussed it, and we said, okay, I'm going to go someplace, no matter where it is, I'm going to move. And then John Marshall opened up brand new school in 67, 68, and there were several applicants, and they chose me, and I was, it was really fun being at a first-year school. Everything was the, everything was brand new. Uh, it was a brand new air-conditioned building, and it was the first football win. It was the first cross-country win. It was the first homecoming queen. It was the first basketball win, and uh, and so on. In fact, I told the guys, they had a bunch of little guys, no seniors. It was just freshmen, sophomore, juniors when the school started. So, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I told the guys that uh, we're going to have a, a big party at our house whenever we win our first game, no matter when it is, whenever we win our first game. Well, these guys said, well, you better get your food in because we're going to win the first game. <laughs> <laughs> and they they followed through. We beat Burbuff at Burbuff first game. And uh, then uh, our first home game was against Howe, where I had just come from Howe the year before. And my JV team at Howe had won the city championship. So I, I'm standing there, and I'm looking down on my end, the Marshall end. There are my kids. And I look down at the other end. There's my JV team from last year, plus the returning letterman. So it was kind of my kids against my kids. <laughs> so, and we we won that. So we won our first home game. We won, we won seven games that year. That was not a lot, but that was a lot for a first year school with no seniors. Uh, so, but that was that was interesting being in a, a brand new school. Now, now before you left Howe to go to Marshall, you, uh, the team at Howe went to a semi-state while you were there, also, right? Yeah, in '66, uh, they uh, they had a real good they had a good team. Uh, uh, Mike Noland uh, was on the All Star team and went to Indiana University on a scholarship. And there were several other pretty good players. And then in '64, you mentioned C. W. Mundy. He was Chuck when he played for me. <laughs> uh, so um, uh, we uh, they they won the they won the. Uh, Regional went to the center state in 64. Now, the 66 team uh, lost in the regional to Beach Grove. But uh, the 64 team, Chuck Mundy, Jim Petty, Rick Burrell, John Reynolds, um, and um, I'm leaving one out. Jim Petty. No, I already said him. I'll have to think about that. Anyway, uh, like John Reynolds, when John was a junior, I kept him on the JV team. Because he was, uh, he could shoot a little bit, and he was a real good kid, and uh, I knew he'd work hard. And he was just, I don't know, six feet or so. Anyway, he grew over the summer, and he's about six four. So here's a kid that doesn't start on the uh, JV team when he's a junior, but uh, after the first couple games, he was a starter on the varsity on that regional championship team. Then he went to Purdue, walked on, and made the Purdue team. So. <laughs> You never know, Coach. When when starting when you started out at Howe, is that when you kind of like uh, do you fill your contact list like when you're you know traveling to all the IPS schools? And did you find it in, and include Marshall in this? Did you find it uh, uh, difficult? Do you think it would have been easier to coach someplace else besides such a huge you know uh, you know Indianapolis public school system? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, um, Ed Siegel was told by the coach at Lafayette, Jeff, and his name escapes me right now. I'll probably think of it here in 30 seconds. 
But he told Ed, "Stay if you want to be successful in coaching, stay out of Marion County. So don't go in there. It's, it's a butcher shop. And, uh, you know, there are so many good teams. And even the teams that have a so-so record, on a given night, uh, they can beat you. So it is tough to coach in uh, Indianapolis and Marion County. At least it was back in those days. It's an altogether different situation today with uh, IPS schools being so small and with all of the uh, other schools that have sprung up uh, around. Uh, it's not the same as it was back then. And how did your Marshall teams progress after your uh, uh, first couple of years? Well, we, we were up and down. Uh, the next year, uh, when I had everybody back, uh, we were 18 and 3. Uh, with just little kids, the tallest guy was six one. Um, we averaged. We we did full court press. That's what we had to do to hang in there. And we we ran some mostly man to man, but then we we'd throw in a half court press and zone press and a full court zone press. So we lost a game in the regular season, ninety seven ninety six to North Central at their place, and then we lost in uh, in the city. Um, we wouldn't have won the city anyway because that's the year that McGinnis and Downing played for Washington. <laughs> and then um, uh, we lost in the uh, sectional. But uh, we, were, we were up and down. Uh, probably the most talented team I had was in 82-83. We won the sectional, and uh, we beat uh, Manuel in the afternoon in, in the regional, and they were rated number two in the state. Just there, for example. Here you are, rated number two in the state, thinking we can win the state championship, and here this other team knocks us off. But uh, we, we were pretty decent. You know, that's uh, you, speaking of that, that's the first game that I actually watched you coach was uh, when you did your Marshall team played uh, Fred Belzer and the Manuel Redskins. And, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, I, I, were you guys, uh, uh, you know, and this takes me to my point is that I was – a part of that 82-83 Broderpool team, did you guys did you guys spend so much energy in beating Manuel that you were a little tired that evening? I think that might have been part of it. Uh, and uh, Broderpool had the first Broderpool had the first game, and uh, I don't remember who they played. We're getting some feedback or something. Yeah, we are getting a little bit. Okay. Uh, anyway, anyway uh, go ahead, Billy. Okay. Uh, no, we played Burbuff that early. Yeah. Hold on one second. You do. Yeah, we were we were we were chatting about how uh, your team may have been a little bit tired from knocking off that number two team. Do you think that team uh, could have possibly been a team that you could have won the state championship with in eighty two eighty three? Well, we would like to have had that opportunity. Uh, I don't know teams. When you get to there, a lot of it is how well you play, but also how the breaks are and how the other teams going. Um, um, I would I would like for that to have happened, but uh, there there was another incident there. Do you remember the clock uh, when they were changing the clock or something? It fell. Yeah. The one that's over there. Yeah, the scoreboard so, scoreboard fell right on the basketball floor. Right, and so everything was delayed by half an hour. So all the games, what it did was it cut out a half an hour in between the afternoon game and the final game. I'm not using that as an excuse, but uh, uh, we. We did have a, a difficult time, so and and uh, we got a little behind, and we had to use our 
half-court traps and a full-court press and this, that, and the other. And um, I had two number two guards, Jeffrey Wilson and Steve McWilliams, both really nice kids. Uh, and um, they had a guy that I can't think of his name right now, quick little rascal, uh, basketball scholarship, University of Wisconsin. Donnie, Donnie Harris. Yeah, I don't think he stayed there, but uh, he could split us out there. We were running a 1-3-1, a one, one, kind of a different kind of a... Uh, I did it differently than most guys, but uh, if you could split that top out there, it made it a little tougher for us, and he was quick enough to do that. So, yeah, it just didn't work out. Um, you, you know, before before that 82-83 team, uh, you had, uh, it was Poncho Wright the only Indiana All-Star that you coached? Uh, he was one of the two. Um, the other one was Larry Bullington. Um, Pancho graduated in 78. We won the sectional in uh, 77, and uh, we played Lawrence Central in the regional. They had Steve Risley played at IU 68, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, Pancho got a couple of fouls in the first quarter. We didn't beat them. But uh, Pancho then went on to play at University of Louisville, and he was uh, uh, a big part of their NCAA championship team in 1980. Uh, he was known as instant offense. And there was another guy named Roger Brooklyn who's known as was known as instant defense. He was a year older. He was a junior when, when Poncho was a sophomore. And they played that tournament here in Indianapolis. So uh, uh, he, uh, he would come off the bench and get things going. I think in the Metro tourney, Poncho told me that uh, he came off the bench and hit 10 out of 11 and was all tournament when he was a sophomore in the Metro tournament. Of course, they won the NCAA state cha- or national championship in, uh, in 1980 here in Indy with, with Pancho on that team. Yeah, he's, he was really good. In fact, I'm hoping that he's selected this year to be in the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame. That's awesome. So uh, we're waiting now to see if the anonymous committee selects him. Coach, what was in, in coaching in IPS all the years that you were at Marshall? Did you have offers all the time, and did you have to weigh the factors in taking them, or did you, did you, or were you just committed at staying at Marshall? Well, I was I was happy with where I was. I didn't want to move my family all over the state, and uh, once you start going around like that, you're either very successful and move on to a better, greener place, or you don't do as well as the school board thinks you should, or you didn't play the school board son as much as you should, and you're gone, and then you got to move again. And uh, I just I just like the stability of the kids going to the same schools, and we're living in the same house, and uh, so I kind of I kind of went the family approach. I did get asked to uh, go to Rushville. So I went down there and interviewed just for the heck of it, and uh, I decided not to take the job. I just stayed back here. And then when uh, Marshall was changed to a junior high in um, 1986, um, they were closing schools or changing them to junior highs at the time. That's the way they pop- the uh, school population was going, was declining. So um, I ended up at Broad Ripple. For there, and I stayed the last ten years. At Brown. I was a nine at Howe, nineteen at Marshall, and uh, ten at uh, at Broad Ripple. So the only time I moved was changing from Howe to uh, Marshall um, to 
to uh, become the head basketball coach. And uh, we all we did was just move from the Howe neighborhood to the Marshall neighborhood, so <laughs> six or eight miles away. What was it like coming from, uh, you know, me being a Broderpool graduate, and everybody who's listening to the show knows that I'm a Broderpool homer, but uh, what was it like coming from Marshall to Broderpool? Was it a dip, dip, different, and, and, and you can compare this to Howe, too. Was it a different, from each move, was it a different atmosphere? Was it a, was, was Broderpool upbeat compared to Marshall? Was it, I mean, and then also talk about your uh, coaching career at Ripple. Well, at, uh, at Howe, it was a, it was a neighborhood school. It was old Irvington, mm-hmm. and everybody who went to Howe uh, lived within uh, six, eight miles of Howe. Then at Marshall, um, it was a, a little bit, well, it was, again, it was a neighborhood school to begin with, but then when Judge Dillon ordered the busing, then kids were coming from here, there, and everywhere. So the, a lot of kids had, had to come from, like, down Adams Street, North Adams, uh, and um, farther away, and uh, it made it a little tougher for them on the transportation. They had to ride the city buses in, and then after practice, it was a little tougher to get back because Marshall was right out on the edge of town. Uh, All those national homes that were built out there, I think Arlington would have been maybe 4,000 or more had Marshall not been opened. And, of course, they couldn't handle that. So all those kids out in there were so appreciative of getting their own school in their own neighborhood. So it started out as a neighborhood school, but then went on from there. Then at Broad Ripple, um, again, kids, there were the kids from local, but there were also kids from all parts of town. So so I think after the busing uh, was ordered by Judge Dillon, um, it made the schools, um, what, a little more not just diverse racially, but um, diverse from the neighborhoods from which they came. Not just local, but riding the bus in sometime. I know uh, we were waiting for, I was a math teacher, waiting for math class to start, and the girls coming in, and they were standing there talking about the ball game. And I said, well, are, you, are you going to the ball game tonight? And she said, no, it's, it's, I won't be able to get transportation to get there. So it hurt a little bit. From those, uh, from that viewpoint, uh, uh, Coach, last year you were inducted into the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame. Do you remember the phone call and your feelings uh, with that phone call? Yes, <laughs> I, I had hoped. Uh, I had, I had been nominated several years before, and um, I wasn't selected for several years, and so I was just. Um, resigned to whatever it was, but, uh, yeah, I was surprised and pleased, and with all the guys that uh, are deserving uh, to, to get into the Basketball Hall of Fame, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have finally been selected. Um, there are, I don't know how many, a couple of hundred guys, 150, whatever, who are on the books that have been nominated, and each board of directors selects 25 and sub- submits those to the anonymous committee, and then they choose 12, 13, or 14 guys. So you can see the competition is is immense. Do you do? I think Go ahead. The fact that I that I hung in and coached in Indianapolis basketball for 31 years without moving here, there, and everywhere, and uh, 
part of Milan. Milan is a is a is a magical word, and uh, I'm sure that's part of a part of it. Uh, so anyway, uh, combination of all those things, and uh, you know, I was reasonably successful. So combination of all those things, I think, is what turned the trick finally. Well, it's a fantastic honor, and you deserved it. Do you do a lot of stuff for the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame? Well, years ago, um, uh, Jim Stutz, uh, Howard basketball coach, uh, asked me to go along to the meetings, and he was part of that. And he uh, he was the um, membership committee chairman, and so I was over there with him one time. At, went to one of the meetings, and and uh, somebody said. Uh, you should be an associate director. And Ray Kraft was the president uh, at that time. And he says, well, yes, I'll just make you an associate director. But any, the associate directors are many. Uh, it's not hard to get to be an associate director. But anyway, I did that for a while, and I helped with uh, some of the other committees. And then um, I, they approved me to be one of the directors. So I was on a board of directors for two terms. And uh, I'm just uh, uh, director emeritus now. That's how I knew about uh, trying to pick 25 guys. I can put down 40 guys <laughs> from the list, and it's hard to, to pare it down to just 25. So it it's a difficult. There's you should see some of the guys that, who aren't in. <laughs> I mean, you could put in 20 guys every year, 25, and still have plenty of room. But that. If you don't make it exclusive, then it kind of loses its its value. Well, it also shows that how passionate people from Indiana and how the the love of basketball they have just because of how you know there's arguments every year who should be in and you know and stuff like that, which it's pretty impressive that you have that that people have that passion about it. I would invite people to go to the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame over in Newcastle. Uh, just take I-70 West and get off the Newcastle exit and go in and follow the signs. and You can spend a good part of the day there. Uh, yes, and I've been there, and I actually made about a $20 donation because it took me two rolls of quarters to try to hit a shot on that machine, and I never hit it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Coach, what do you think of the game of basketball in Indiana today? When it went from uh, uh, to class basketball, were, were you kind of disheartened, or is this something that it's changed and you have to deal with? And, and what do you think of the game today? Okay, I'm going to uh, put that question on hold because if I don't, I'll forget to mention that there's another museum, basketball museum in Indiana, in, in Milan. There's a, a basketball uh, museum that's uh, dedicated to 1954 and to the movie Hoosiers. There was a lady by the name of Rosalind McKittrick who years ago, about, oh, I don't know, 80, about the time the movie Hoosiers came out in 86, around that time, she had an antique store and uh, she had lockers made out of walnut and put them in her antique store with each player's name and number on it and above a big streamer that says Milan 32 months, 30. And then we each put uh, memorabilia pertaining to us in our locker. And that's how it got started. And then it, on from there, uh, the, um, what, I'll shorten the story. There was a, the bank building in Milan, the Milan State Bank um, was uh, no longer being used and it sat there vacant for a long time. And money was raised, uh, some 
some of the events that we went to, lots of donations, money from those casino boats down there along the river, uh, and anonymous donations. Anyway, that bank building is now in tip-top shape, and the entire bank building is the Milan 54 Museum. Uh, you can Those lockers that Rosalind had made are in there, and um, the uh, game clip is played continuously back there. And uniforms that were used in the movie Hoosiers hang from the ceiling. Barbara Hershey's coat that was in the movie is in there. The hospital bed that uh, William Hopper did the jumping up and down on, in there, that's in that museum. And uh, pretty soon here, I forget the date, it's a Saturday in November, like the 14th, they're going to have the grand opening of um, another strip of 24 minutes of interviews with uh, the players that will also run as a loop with the game film. And then you can walk up to each locker and press a button, and you'll get a two-minute uh, talk from each player. So all of this has come from money that has been raised, donated, and uh, all goes back to Roseland. And it's open about three days a week. Uh, you can go online to mylan54.org and get all the information about that. You can see all kinds of pictures and stories. And if you want to buy memorabilia, you can order them online and uh, and go on from there. So Coach, I wanted to get that in. Uh, oh, that's I, good. But uh, that sounds like another great interview I could have with the people who run that. Yes. Uh, yeah, that yeah. would be a good one. They've, they've been interviewed before. Uh, Greg Doyle, uh, Indianapolis Star has uh, been down there to talk to Rosalind, but I'm sure she'd be happy to, uh, awesome. to talk to you. Uh, you can just go online and get all that information, or I can look up her phone number, whichever. <clears throat> um, now, back to your other question, which <laughs> I, I'm about, like a politician. You ask me one thing and I tell you something else. <laughs> That's okay, Coach. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's... Um, 201 West Car Street, P.O. Box 156, uh, phone number 812-654-2772. Got it. Rosalind, R-O-S-E-L-Y-N, Rosalind McKittrick. And there's another uh, lady, uh, Susan Cunningham, that works in there. She's a retired school teacher. Cool. So um, you can get all the hours and everything that when they're when they're open and when they're there, but it's you, you can spend you can spend quite a bit of time in there, two, three, four hours, whatever you want to spend. Now back to your question about today's basketball. Yes, sir. I think we lost a lot when we went from the one winner takes all compared to the now we have four classes. I don't know what it'll be after that. They football started out with four or five, and now it's up to six. Um, a lot was lost. I guess you just chalk it up to progress, if you want to put quotation marks around that. Um, to me, it's like an invitational tournament. There are four invitational tournaments each year, and they call them state championships, but they're kind of like gold-plated instead of gold. Because if you say it's the 4A state championship, that's fine. But somehow it's easier just to say, hey, like I heard one of the commissioners say one time, 
at the baseball tournament. That's the first Turkey. That's the first state championship that Turkey Run has ever won. And he was talking about the girls' softball, but he just said state championship. So, um, but to win an invitational tournament with let's say 90 teams in it, because that's about what it is now. I think we've got close to 400 uh, teams in, in Indiana now. Schools playing ball. That's great. That's remarkable. <laughs> if somebody said, "Hey, we just won a, a, a an invitational tournament with 90 teams in it," well, I'd get my hat off right away. So that's a great accomplishment. But it's more of a regional type thing. Let's say um, uh, if Lagodi won the state championship, or what's that other little town down there? I'm trying to think of it. And this guy will give me the devil for not remembering his town. Barreve. Barreve. There you go. <laughs> Steve will get after me for that. But when when Bar Reeve won the state championship, everybody that's down around southern Indiana, they're all happy for Bar Reeve. But the people in Terre Haute, or I mean the people in Fort Wayne, or the people in Gary, they don't, they don't even remember who won. Right. Uh, they, they may not even know who won the Class A. So I say it's more of a regional thing, and it's a great thing for them to win. And they're happy about it. But... Um, I hate to say watered down, but I can't think of a better way to say it. When you divide it by four instead of just being one, um, it, it isn't the same. And we lost a lot. And the little school beating the big school, whether it's Centerville beating Richmond or think of another one, uh, uh, some of these little schools like Zionsville, it's not little anymore, but like back in the olden days, a small school beating a big school. Uh, that's remarkable. You can go to, to these old gyms around and you can probably find a picture of some team that won the sectional. And uh, they, they had to beat the one, you know, the county seat to do it. Yeah. So, uh, it, it, was, it probably meant as much to them as winning one of these state championships. Maybe not. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm happy for the teams that win the class uh, tournaments and have success in the class tournaments. But um, it's just not the same as one team winning the state championship, 790-some, whatever it was, when, when uh, back in the 50s and the 60s. And um, uh, it's just not, not going to change. So we just have to say, okay, that's history. We don't have any covered wagons anymore. <laughs> uh, we don't have a one school wins the state championship anymore. So you have to find your pleasure where you can, I guess, and move on. Coach, what involvement did you have with the movie Hoosiers? I didn't have any at all. Uh, Ray Kraft was, I think, the only one because he was assistant commissioner. They came and talked to him about things like uh, where – would be a, a gym to use, where would be a school to use, and so on. Like Knightstown, they chose that because of the size of the gym and everything. They chose the school building in Trafalgar down in Johnson County because it had a gravel parking lot. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't do the movie with a paved parking lot because people <laughs> back then didn't have enough, enough money to pave the parking lots. I mean, we had gravel roads back then, too. Uh, Maybe not here in Indianapolis, but it didn't take too long in Pierceville to be riding your bike 
right off the asphalt, right into the gravel road back when we were kids. So, um, yeah, Ray did a lot of things like that. In fact, uh, he has a speaking part in the movie. Uh, he meets the Hickory Huskers when they come in. They walk in, and that's Ray Kraft in the movie Hoosiers. And he says something like, uh, gee, it's great for you guys to be here. I'm really excited for you and have a good game or something like that. And then at halftime, half he sticks his head in the door and says, come on, guys. So we told him he did okay, but not to get a job for the movies. <laughs> By the way, that reminds me of something else. There is a guy who played on the Milan uh, State Championship team by the name of William Jordan, who did make it in Hollywood. Um, he, uh, he, he was in theater. He could play the piano. He could play some other musical instruments. He went to IU. He was in ROTC down there. And um, somehow he got involved, and he, he got to know, oh, uh, gee, oh, Jack Webb. Jack Webb, <clears throat> and he had a TV series, something about uh, um, unidentified flying objects, the UFOs, and he was the captain, and another guy was the sergeant, and drove him around, and they they um, would go back and go around and find out things like that. I think it lasted a couple of years. Then he was in several movies and several TV shows, and he was a bad guy a couple times on Rockford Files. William Jordan, yeah. How often do you guys get together now? Well, we have had a reunion every year since 1954. Hard to believe, right? Yeah. We don't get everybody. We Nowadays, we'll get half a dozen or so. And uh, we still have two cheerleaders alive. Um, one cheerleader died of cancer not too long after, uh, oh, I don't know how old she was, young, uh, maybe 35 or 40. And then Ronnie Truitt, who went to uh, uh, University of Houston, died of uh, cancer in 1988, colon cancer. Everybody else is still alive. The you know, 11 guys are still alive and two out of three cheerleaders. And we meet every year. And then there are other things that come up, like uh, we're guests here and there. We're going to be guests at the Pacers game when, one time when they wear their uh, Hoosiers uniforms. And we were guests at the Indiana Derby the last two years and so on and so on. It's too lengthy to to uh, to mention and sign an autographs. But don't charge for the autographs. Uh, I'm sure that uh, Bob Trump has been paid uh, many, many times for his autographs on other occasions. But like last year when we signed, uh, there's, there's no charge. Although the... Um, Racing Commission donated $10,000 to the uh, Milan Museum, the 54 Museum, for us being there, but no individual profit. And everybody's pretty good about that. It's amazing. Uh, here, here's something. Uh, they, they had, uh, both this year and last year, they had a Playboy bunny, and uh, she was over in one so side of the room, and we were all on the other side of the room, and the line to get Autographs for Milan was a lot longer than wanting to get autographs from the Playboy Bunny. So Indiana people are wholesome people that like basketball. You you know, Coach, when I do this stuff, 
you know, when I, I have a Facebook page, which is called Indiana Basketball Memories website. Of course, I have IndianaBasketballMemories.com. I've even started something called the Indiana Basketball Wall of Fame, which is hopefully a stepping stone for people to get into the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame. But anytime I sit down and open my computer or I open up a book on Indiana high school basketball, your team is the first thing that pops in my mind before I start doing research. And is that something, how often do you think about the history and what part of history you were, you, 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 that you made? Well, it comes up, uh, often and somebody, just like when I go play senior softball, somebody will, not all the time, but somebody will say, uh, this guy played for Milan back in the olden days. And uh, and I've had guys from the other team come call me over and say, somebody said that you played on the Milan team in 1950, and I'll say, yes, that's right. I was fortunate to be there at that time. And uh, then they're just, they're just amazed. And it, it never ceases, speaking of amazement, it never ceases to amaze me that it is, it is such a thing that it is. I mean, I don't think of myself as a legend, or I don't think of myself as someone someone should be in awe of, but that is the situation. Even a guy who played some but was not a major factor, it doesn't matter. If, if you were there and lived that, then I guess it's like me thinking about meeting uh, some uh, guy that's in the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, something like that, to me. Uh, but but it it never ceases to amaze me the look on their face when when they see somebody who was a part of that. Well, Coach, I, I love doing this stuff. I thank you so much for spending uh, uh, time with us today. Uh, everybody is going to enjoy this. Um, I, I, it took me too long to get a hold of you. I'd like to thank Don Thompson because uh, uh, he helped me kind of kind of track you down. But I thank you so much for sharing your memories of. Uh, uh, Mylan and, and your coaching career and um, uh, spending time with us helping to keep nostalgia alive. I thank you so much. Well, it's been a pleasure for me. It's enjoyable to talk about things in the olden days, and I find that when we do this, uh, we start talking about things, and when something that is said reminds me of something else, and you can just go on and on and on. But it, I've, had, I've had a lot of fun talking with you today, Billy, and I, I thank you for uh, uh, giving me the opportunity to pass along some of... Uh, what I was fortunate to live to uh, to people who might be interested in it. Now, all my thanks are for you t- toward you. Thank you so much, Coach. Okay, Billy.